Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments to share uh, this uh, service with us. Uh, do want to mention to you, if you have not discovered the YouVersion Bible app, it is a, an amazing resource and uh, you can just search in your app store, uh, enter in the words YouVersion, uh, download it on your phone or device, all kinds of wonderful reading uh, resources, plans to get you into God's Word, and also uh, under the menu, you can find events. Click on that, uh, search for Arlington FM, and you'll find a complete set of notes for today's message. Well, I do want to give a shout out uh, to our class of 2021 uh, high school graduates. This past week, we had the privilege of hosting uh, here on our campus the uh, 2021 graduation car parade, and it was a ton of fun. We handed out a lot of bottled water, ice cream bars, but mostly we got to celebrate uh, this great accomplishment. So congratulations to all of you high school graduates. And if you're tuning into this message, uh, you could consider this my graduation present to all of you. Uh, we are in a series called Almost Happy, and it's based on the promises of Jesus regarding the quality of life that he offers to us. He said in John 10, 10, happens to be my favorite Bible scripture, I have come that you might have life to the full. And notice to the full goes way beyond almost. In fact, a little later on in John 15, verse 11, Jesus said these things, I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, may be made full. Well, getting on the pathway, uh, to that kind of uh, happiness that goes beyond, well, I was almost happy to a, a complete fullness of joy. Uh, in order to do that, we're looking at uh, one of the amazing letters in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. It's his letter uh, to his friends in Philippi. And uh, in this short four-chapter letter, Paul uses the word joy and rejoice 16 times. And uh, here's really his theme, is that uh, there is joy to be found by having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is absolutely beyond anything and everything that this world can offer us. In fact, uh, you know the expert uh, experts on joy uh, who research into what is it that makes people really happy in a genuine sense in fact, uh, uh, therapists, counselors, psychiatrists, theologians, writers of the Bible, and more importantly, the teachings of Jesus would all agree that these things are essential if we are going to experience real and lasting happiness in our lives. And uh, here is the way that Jesus infuses each of these happiness essentials. Uh, the experts tell us that in order to be truly happy, we need a mission or a purpose in life that is bigger than ourselves. And nothing could be closer to the heart of Jesus when he welcomes people to follow him and join him in his mission to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, to uh, join him in loving people back to their creator. Uh, they say that to have real and lasting happiness, you need to have a positive view of your personal narrative. And certainly when we begin to follow Christ, he rewrites our story. 
In fact, he turns all things together for good. The Apostle Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that is a positive personal story. Uh, they also tell us that to, to be truly genuinely happy, we need to be able to see meaning and value in life's difficulties, in our sufferings. And uh, again, as we mentioned, uh, that God turns all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose in Christ. And finally, this idea that to be truly happy, we need to have meaningful connections, uh, great relationships with people and with our creator. And that is at the very heart of what Jesus offers us. In fact, he said, you could sum up all of God's teachings and everything I came to do in this one command, that you would love one another as I have loved you. And so he forms the basis and the groundwork uh, for those kinds of significant life-giving relationships. And uh, here is what I've come to believe, that when we aim at lesser things, we actually miss every one of these essentials for genuine happiness. When we aim at the things that are only in front of us, we end up missing on the very things that add purpose and meaning and true happiness to our existence. Uh, last week, we saw this amazing quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, you know, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. Uh, see, Lewis's contention is that we often miss happiness because we aim at the wrong things. And uh, like Solomon, we end up uh, perhaps gaining everything, but then wondering, where is the meaning in all of this? Well, today, in our read through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we come to a crossroads. We come to a place where the road actually separates. You can go this way, or you can go that way. Uh, one of the roads is to live as if Christ is real, as if what he came to do, what he taught, what he accomplished can actually be truly experienced by us. The other road is a pathway uh, where we, we see Christ as just a good teacher. We see him as a, a religious leader that we can add, you know, his influence to all of our other belief systems. Those are two very different uh, roads that we can get on. Uh, one of living as though Christ is real is a pathway of power and personal freedom, and grace, and a real-time experience uh, of the living God. The other is more about our performance, our standards, our self-generated efforts, what we can do to gain merit with God and perhaps feel a little bit above uh, people who don't believe the way that we do. Those are two very different paths. And uh, these two approaches to life come into clarity in the final section of Paul's letter, and want you to hear uh, how he develops those. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, uh, Paul says, join together in following my example. And so Paul is asking them to, to look at the way he lived among them. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, uh, there are people who go down the path as if Christ is really present, in their lives. He's real and his power is made manifest. And Paul would hold himself up and say, 
follow Christ the way that I do, because the reality is there's another way of doing religion. He says, for as I've often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, their very lives lead away from the cross. Uh, What they teach, what they stand for, uh, doesn't... uh, bring one to depend on the finished work of Jesus on the cross so that God's righteousness could be given to us as a gift. Their very lifestyle and their teaching and their example uh, has quite a different message. And Paul says they're actually living as enemies of the cross. And then he goes on, he said, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. What an indictment. Uh, The end of that kind of religion, if you want to call it that, is destruction. Uh, Their God is actually their appetites. They're driven uh, by their own passions. And their glory, Paul says, is actually in their shame. In still trying to become better than what they are, rather than leaning entirely on the grace and the forgiveness of God. And Paul makes this conclusion. Their mind is set on earthly things. You could say it like this. They were aiming too low. Uh, They were fixated on the things that were right in front of them and that they could do rather than leaning on a God who could do the impossible. Uh, Well, let's just acknowledge something uh, together today. Certainly, it's true in my life. It's easy to get our minds set on earthly things. It's easy to focus on the things that are right in front of us the things that are causing us anxiety, the things that are troubling us, the conflicts that we have to wrestle with. It's easy uh, for all of our thoughts and all of our interests to become focused on those things. Uh, You know, where else is there to focus our time and our attention? It's almost if we conclude, if I don't tend to my business, who will? You know, uh, we certainly don't want to become so heavenly-minded that we're ignoring our earthly duties and responsibilities. Uh, The truth is, uh, I can become so earthly-minded that I'm no heavenly good. That's that's the reality. I can become so fixated on the things that are right in front of me that I lose touch with the reality of God. I become distanced from... um, the enduring values and priorities that Jesus said will bring true joy and authentic happiness. Uh, Like Solomon, we can grab for everything that's right in front of us and, uh, as I said, end up saying, well, where's the meaning in all of this? Well, Paul's uh, contention with his friends in Philippi is you don't have to accept that storyline. That's not the narrative that Jesus is writing in your life that uh, you would believe in him, but be so fixated on earthly difficulties and anxieties and cares and concerns that he would just kind of become uh, on the back, the background and put on the shelf in our lives. Uh, Paul goes on, he says in verse 20, this other pathway, uh, Our citizenship is in heaven. Rather than being so earthly-minded, we identify that we belong uh, to a a different reality. And from heaven, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. See, there's there's a, a heavenly reality 
that is of the greatest earthly good. Paul says, uh, we're awaiting a savior from heaven, Jesus Christ, who by the power uh, that he has, it enables him to bring everything under his control and he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. Now that's a different sort of hope. You know, that's a, that's a long range vision that has immediate consequences. In fact, uh, you know, we could almost say, uh, can you really live in a reality that's that distant and yet that powerful with the confidence uh, that a savior is, is waiting, ready at the appropriate time to come and transform our lowly bodies and to work his perfect good in our lives? Well, I happen to believe that when you look at Paul's relationship with his friends in Philippi, I think he's inviting them back to their first days as Christ followers. I think he's uh, inviting them to reflect on how there came to be a church in Philippi and what God did, what Jesus Christ did in their lives that, that made his presence so real. In fact, uh, you can read about it. We've referenced this before early on in our study. You can go to Acts chapter 16, and it tells the story of when the Apostle Paul and Silas arrived in this Roman colony of Philippi, and they began to uh, share the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And one by one, uh, people began to believe their message. Uh, people became followers of Jesus Christ. And one day, one ill-fated day, uh, Paul made the mistake of uh, liberating a young slave girl uh, from a dark spirit that she had. And according to the text, uh, this spirit that, uh, that was in this young lady uh, gave her the ability to predict the future. Well, uh, you know, whether or not she could actually do that, it made a lot of money for her owners. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, after Paul liberated this young girl from this spirit, uh, the owners of her realized they had just lost their source of income. And so uh, we're told in Acts chapter 16, verse 20, that the owners brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates, before the officials, and they made this uh, false accusation. These men are Jews. That was correct. And they're throwing our city into an uproar. Well, sort of correct. By advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And that was the fabricated part of their accusation. But nevertheless, in verse 22, we're told the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Talk about immediate execution of uh, injustice. And uh, we're told after that happened, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, this is, this is a day gone south for Paul and Silas. You know, this is a day that had gone off the rails. It started so well, and people were responding to the hope that they were sharing. And as I said, they had liberated this young girl from this uh, demonic spirit. And all of a sudden, uh, they're being accused. They're being threatened. They're being stripped. They're being beaten. And they end up thrown in a prison cell with stocks on their feet. Well, uh, Paul and Silas apparently didn't interpret the day that way. 
and that it was a day that came off the rails and went south. In fact, as you continue to read uh, about this beginning of the church in Philippi, in verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. This is amazing. This is miraculous. Uh, these two men who had been beaten within an inch of their lives were singing hymns and praising God, and the prisoners were all listening in. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Well, the jailer uh, woke up at this point. Good time to wake up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he immediately assumed that the prisoners were gone. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that everyone had escaped. And he knew that if he didn't take his own life, the Romans certainly would uh, for what he had allowed to happen under his watch. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. They rushed in. They, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out, and he asked them this amazing question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, uh, Paul and Silas go on to share the hope of Jesus with this jailer. He takes them home. They wash his wounds. They feed him dinner. And uh, he and his entire family, were told, uh, become, become followers of Jesus Christ that evening. And uh, these are the miraculous beginnings of the church in Philippi. And, and as Paul uh, writes to them, he writes to a group of believers who had drifted from that powerful everyday experience of the living Christ and uh, their religion, their faith had become more about uh, fulfilling duties, following rules, living up to expectations, creating conflicts and divisions between people who once walked side by side. Can anyone relate uh, to that drift uh, from what once was a vibrant response to Jesus Christ and now was a day-to-day duty? Uh, see, they were being influenced. They were being influenced by leaders whose minds were set on earthly things. They had lost touch with the power of living under the, the guidance of a Savior who uh, had a heavenly uh, dwelling and an enthronement and who at any moment was going to return and uh, restore our lowly bodies and glorify us to be with him forever. They had drifted from that. And so Paul would say, look, that's not the story that, that began in you. And that certainly isn't the way that God wants your story to end. And uh, so I, I want to just take us into Paul's uh, encouragement for them to rewrite the narrative, uh, to be empowered, uh, to interpret their reality in different ways. And he begins in chapter 4 with a, a rapid-fire sequence of encouragements to get back and to live as though Christ is real and not some set of teachings or belief system. He says, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love, and I would long to be with, I'd love to see you again, my joy and my crown, stand firm in your relationship with Jesus in this way, dear friends. And then he, as I said, he, he rattles off some ways that they can stay 
in that powerful relationship with the living Lord Jesus. Here we go, verse 2. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Well, you say, how does that encouragement to work through your issues? Don't allow your conflict to separate you from one another. Uh, how is that an exhortation to live in the reality of a living uh, Lord Jesus Christ? Well, uh, here's what I would say. When we live as though Christ is real, we don't sink into unsolvable conflicts with people. Hear that again. When we live as though Christ is real and not just a set of teachings and a philosophy or spirituality, uh, when we live in his living presence, the cause of Jesus lifts us beyond our offenses and our annoyances with people. Uh, see, this is the, the value of having a purpose and a cause that is greater than ourselves. It, whatever issues I encounter, it's not just about me. It's about how would God want to step into this situation and bring the living truth of Jesus perhaps to others who've never called upon his name. He goes on in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone, for the Lord is near. You see that emphasis on the living presence of Jesus influencing their behavior. When we live as though Christ is real, we have a constant and a reliable source of joy. And as the Bible teaches, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, when we live in the presence of Christ, we have more than enough strength to face life's challenges. We don't have to become abrasive people. Uh, Paul can exhort us uh, to let your gentleness be evident to everyone. I once heard of a, a kind of a morbid experiment that some psychologists did with a group of rats. They were in a cage that had a grid on the bottom that sent a, a little shock into their little rat feet. And uh, initially, when the shock hit them, they'd kind of jump and look around, and shock hit them again, they'd jump and look around, and when the shock hit them again, they started turning on one another. They thought, it must be you. You're the source of my discomfort. And Paul is saying when we live as though Christ is real, we don't have to allow the, uh, the hurts of life to turn us against one another. He goes on in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and keep your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, here's what Paul is saying, is uh, if there is an all-powerful, creative God, would you think that that God would be anxious and troubled? Do you think that that God is worried about things coming off as he had planned? Oh my gosh, there's supposed to be a supernova today. Did anyone remember uh, where is that Holy Spirit when I need him? Uh, northern lights. Who's got the northern lights? Somebody take care of that. Uh-oh. Uh 
we were supposed to have an eclipse today. Was that lunar or solar? Uh, do I have to do everything myself? Of course not. If God is a creator God, and he's the sustainer of all things, there's this amazing uh, peace. He's the beginning and the end. He's uh, the alpha and the omega. Uh, he, he is the ruler of the universe. And according to the scriptures, that God uh, lives in immovable peace. And there's a sense of harmony in his very existence. And Paul says, when we live as though Christ is real, we have an ongoing conversation with that God. And that creator God turns every worry that we could have, every anxiety that we could be obsessed with into an opportunity to experience the transcendent peace of the all-powerful, sustaining God. Hear that again. When we live as though Christ is real and he has risen from the dead and he has opened the way for us to know his Father and our God, he turns every worry and every anxiety into an opportunity to experience his transcendent peace. You know, that's huge. That is, that's a huge reality, is that there's nothing in life that can separate us from the peace that God has welcomed us into. I think of one occasion when I was a youth pastor, and we took about uh, 60 junior high kids to an event down in Tacoma. And uh, I was driving this old school bus uh, packed with junior high kids. Some of the parents were with us. And uh, we're in rush hour traffic. And I'm driving that bus. And, and I'm, I'm sitting in my little bus cockpit. And I was singing a song that uh, came to my heart, just kind of worshiping and praising God. And one of the parents came up to the seat right behind me and said, how do you do this? And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, how can you be uh, peaceful? How can you be seemingly uh, content when there's chaos happening all around us? And you know, when I think back to it, there was only one reason. I had this assurance that I was in the center of God's will. I had this ongoing conversation through my relationship with the living Christ and peace was kind of the air that I breathed. Well, Paul goes on. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, uh, in your quest to uh, go on that path where you're living as though Christ is real and present with you, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, that's quite an amazing list. If there's anything that is excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. Let your thoughts, let your mind go to these realities that are good and beautiful. You know, we're going we're gonna to devote a teaching next week uh, to how to reboot our minds, uh, how to replace uh, the obsessive thoughts, the anxious thoughts, the worrisome thoughts, you know, the, the thoughts that are uh, consumed with negativity, how do we reboot them in the light of who Christ is and have this outlook on life that is described in these wonderful words? But Paul ends in verse 9. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, all of these things he just uh, exhorted them toward, uh, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. See, here's the truth. 
when we live as though Christ is really real and his presence is accessible in our lives. We can reboot our troubled minds and we can form an outlook on life that magnifies the beauty while minimizing the pain and the, the suffering. We can reboot our troubled outlooks. We can form a, a, a view of life that is consistent with who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. And Paul says, look, this is what I demonstrated to you. When I was with you, this is what you saw, Paul and Silas. These were the lives that we lived because of Christ, and this is what you started in. And somehow you've got on a, a different track. And Paul is calling them back to the one that leads to real joy and real happiness. Uh, I heard this last week that Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon and many other companies, is uh, in July... He's going to fly on his first uh, manned uh, rocket ship going into space, he and his brother. And uh, whatever you think about uh, that very wealthy man, uh, I do know this. If he comes back intact, uh, you have a model to follow. And uh, it will open the door for many, many others who uh, have that aspiration in their hearts to go into space. And that's kind of a glimpse of what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, what you saw in me, what I communicated to you is a life that is different. It's not set on earthly things. It's not consumed with anxiety and worry. It's not given over to conflict. It's one that has a higher calling, a higher purpose, a better story. It's one that gives great meaning to our pain and our sufferings. It's one that generates the best relationships that we could possibly experience in life. Paul is saying, look, you can choose that. Uh, you can step into that. You know, I think of Paul in that, that stinking prison cell, uh, stripped, uh, beaten to within an inch of his life. I don't know if you've ever been uh, beaten uh, badly, I remember the one fight I was in as an adolescent where I was beaten up pretty soundly. In fact, this picture is uh, not of me, but it's the way I felt uh, after I uh, had received a thorough beating from someone. And uh, I'll tell you, when I had experienced that, the last thing in the world I was thinking about was praising God. And yet Paul is saying uh, into that kind of reality, uh, you know, he could have thought, boy, did we ever miss God's will. You know, in the days leading up to arriving at Philippi, they had multiple opportunities to go a different direction. They could have turned right and went to Asia. Uh, but Paul, he could have in that prison cell, boy, did I ever miss God's will. You know, why in the world did I pay attention to that silly dream I had of a man in Macedonia saying, Paul, come and help us. And this is where it got me. No, that's not Paul's lament at all. In fact, Paul's narrative is that uh, they were right in the center of God's will. Christ was with them. Uh, Christ had uh, shown them that he was beyond their temporary sufferings. In fact, he was in the middle of them. And through their praise and their prayers to God, others came in to the knowledge of his goodness. Well, I want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, you know, that living experience of Christ, 
is real. And it's what the apostle calls us back to and away from uh, a religiosity uh, that as he would write to his friend Timothy later, had the form of religion, but denied the power of it to change and impact our lives. Father, thank you for making yourself available to us. You are the creator and the sustainer of all things. Thank you, Father, for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we don't want to live as though that hasn't happened. We don't want to live as though Jesus hasn't come to us uh, and conquered all of our difficulties, risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, and now with us through the presence of his Spirit. As Paul would say, the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let his cause and his purposes change your narrative. Let it transform your difficulties. Let his kingdom invade your challenges. And don't sink in to a form of religion that is overly concerned with earthly things. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would allow us to walk with you in a new and a fresh way. Uh, maybe you're hearing these words this weekend. You've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you know that's what you need, that's what you want. Let me lead you in a prayer. You could say this in your heart or say it out loud. Uh, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Uh, I'm like that jailer, Lord. I, I've been around faith but it's never become real to me until now. Lord, I want you to come into my prison cell, shake the chains that, that hinder and bind me and hold me back, and Lord, let me begin to experience the reality of your forgiveness, of your love, of your purpose, of your call in my life, and from this day forward, Lord, I choose to set my sights on you. The Lord is near, and he's near to me, and I respond to that in Christ's name. Amen.